Ding, 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 ding. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of B-Side. Tom here, and welcome back to B-Side. Today on B-Side, we're going to be talking about the 2016 film Shin Godzilla. And this is going to be probably a a brief B-side, as many of these topics uh, we've covered on the actual flagship podcast. But I really wanted to mention what I meant by Weber and the Iron Cage of Rationality, which is what I think this film is capturing in its depiction of bureaucracy. And so I'm going to go through a few iterations of the term and really what Max Weber, the the famous German sociologist, meant by bureaucracy. He was the great and probably we might even think of him as the initial or founding scholar of bureaucracy. So we'll talk about what he said and why that factors into this film. So, starting with Karl Marx, because why not? Marx saw bureaucracy as a corporate vesticle body that moved from the business world, from the world of industrialization that arose in the 18th century and really took off in the 19th, and that this body moved from the business world, the industrial world, to the state. And that's why now capitalism was capturing the state and and kind of doing the damage that he thought it was doing. Now, Weber, who wrote the book on, on bureaucracy, he imagined the, that bureaucracy, especially bureaucracy under capitalism, was rationalizing and politicizing of the scientific method. So I'll say that again. So Weber saw bureaucracy as a means of rationalizing and politicizing the scientific method. And so what you would have there is the scientific method is this, you know, kind of Baconian system which allows us to determine truth through testing, right? We generate a hypothesis, we test it against um, against certain falsifiable principles or falsifiable ideas and if we cannot falsify the hypothesis and we can get affirmative truth of it it then becomes theory and there you go now the scientific method it's it's revolutionary energy goes everywhere and it becomes a big factor in the enlightenment that we can now find truth by something more than than the rationalization of the medievals, we can use this method to come up with a, a kind of secular truth. And what we see with the tail end of the Enlightenment, which includes, of course, people like Marx, is a turn on the Enlightenment, a turn back to look at the Enlightenment and engage it in a way that is somewhat suspicious. And that's this kind of pre-modern or post-modern and pre-modern and post-modern kind of end up becoming the same thing in the 20th century, that this sort of energy 
uh, scales the political spectrum. Right? It moves from one end of the political spectrum to the other, but they're generally concerned with the tools of the Enlightenment, and they are suspicious of the tools of the Enlightenment, including the scientific method. And so we see Weber here as looking upon the scientific method as being the source of bureaucracy. That basically what we have in, in Germany, Weber was a, if you couldn't tell by the, the sound of his name, a German language sociologist, and he saw the scientific method when applied to government as kind of rationalizing and politicizing, kind of silly to say something is politicizing government, but maybe government is politicizing the scientific method. And what you end up having is these these rationalist systems, which I think Weber also saw as coming from, from the corporate world or the industrial world. And what we have are these rationalizing systems in which everything is divided into such a specific procedure with a, a hierarchy and with a, a division of labor that it becomes, and, and this is Weber's metaphor, an iron cage. And the iron cage, everyone's imprisoned because you cannot get outside of this highly specialized and, uh, and highly hierarchical rationalizing system. So, you know, despite the fact that you overthrow traditional means of, of governance, right, somebody inherits something and, and there you go, you now have this kind of highly specific rational system that's smarter and efficient and all these things. However, that intelligence that becomes embodied in these kind of systems of replication also become the prison in which you can't get out of these systems of replication, right? You can't develop a new system. You can't move into, into another means of doing something. And so bureaucracies become like dead weight. They become a means of doing something that slows everything down, that doesn't allow randomness in. It doesn't allow emergent order in. It doesn't allow the needed chaos that, that systems need in order to evolve and in order to function in new contexts, all of that gets thrown out. And so the, the great benefit of rationality also becomes its death knell. And I just want to give a little, some Weber's dates right now. So Weber's dates are 1864 to 1920. And the work in which we see the Iron Cage mentioned was his most famous work, um, 1905's The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. And this is a very rich work. Everybody should, should indulge it, should look into it. I'm not going to go through the, the details now, but this is where you have that, that Iron Cage metaphor comes in. And it was translated initially into English in not until 1930. And so this becomes thought of as the, the founding text in economic sociology, right? And, and one of the founding texts in the field of sociology. And so that's, that's Weber. That is the Iron Cage. Now, in this film, we could see the Iron Cage enacted quite humorously and quite directly. There is an unbelievable number of 
uh, committee meetings. Um, everybody's trying to find a justification within the bureaucratic structure as to why we do something. This isn't to say that the the writers and directors of Shin Godzilla, um, the directors being uh, Hidaki Anno and uh, Shinji Higuchi, it's not to say that Anno and Higuchi are confusing government and bureaucracy. Yes, the bureaucracy is a part of the government, but it is a part of the government. It is not the total government. And what we see in the first hour of this film is a bureaucratic means of handling something that defies expectation, right? Uh, we have a Godzilla come to shore. It's killing a bunch of people. We're not entirely sure how it's powered. It um, seems to be evolving to deal with uh, potentially dangerous circumstances, dangerous to it, and therefore become all the more resistant to efforts to prevent it from doing damage. And this Godzilla is, of course, drawn from the uh, Fukushima nuclear disaster of of 2000, um, 2011, as well as the earthquake and tsunami. And so it, it's drawing, as the original Godzilla drew, from a real-life occurrence. The original Godzilla, of course, drawing from the, the nuclear bombs that were dropped on Japan. And so what we see then with, with this with this picture is a about an hour of the film devoted to these various bureaucratic structures trying to come up with a means of handling a problem they can't handle. And the reason why they can't handle it is they have to go from one committee meeting to another committee meeting. And the way of handling something becomes as important as the handling itself. And we could see a lot of the a lot of the elements of uh, Weber's Iron Cage of Bureaucracy as working through this film. So the official, the bureaucrat, is subject to authority only with respect to their official obligation. This is Weber's first law of bureaucracy. So the, the, the official um, has to follow what authority says, but only in terms of the function they were given. Right. And so you have, in one scene, we bring in a bunch of scientific experts on, I think it's on marine life, to some sort of animal life, to ask them or to, to give them information, give the, bureauc be, uh, give the Japanese government information with regards to Godzilla. And they do what they're told, but they also won't really give a straight answer because they're, they're afraid they'll look bad. So they're kind of subject to the authority of the various universities for whom they work. Um, however, and, and they're, they're subject to the authority of the government. However, they respect that obligation at the very bare minimum, right? Um, and we could see this throughout the, throughout the picture. Second rule, organized in a clearly defined hierarchy of offices. And we see this, obviously, um, both in offices as, as in the office holders and also offices as in the home of the PM, which is where a lot of these meetings go. 
every time they have to move into a new committee, they have to change offices. So there is a physical hierarchy of offices as well as officers occupying them. Um, each office has a clearly defined sphere of competence, and we see that because each each bureaucratic arm, each committee has its own name and is responsible for handling certain things, and there's arguments amongst the, the bureaucrats and government officials as to which bureaucracy is responsible for, for which aspect of this disaster. Uh, the official has a free contractual relationship, uh, free selection, so um, you're hired. That's basically what that means. That That's true in this film, though it's not a big factor. Um, officials are selected through technical qualifications, we see that here, but we also see the problem in very hierarchical systems where age and experience, and sometimes experience means just endurance of the office, that those things mean actually more than somebody's qualified ability to do something. We see this early on when the uh, young scientist, a young female scientist, whose name I don't remember, but she's brought in to... Uh, give advice on as to whether or not Godzilla could come to shore. And she says, yes. And the older people, the older official says, no. And so she's sort of looked down upon. She's actually kind of sitting in the corner of the office and, and one of the officials who disagrees with her scowls at her. And so you could see there that this kind of idea of technical qualification is being challenged by hierarchy. Now, the official is paid by fixed salaries. We don't learn anything about these character salaries. The office is the primary occupation of the official. That seems to be the case here. Uh, number eight, promotion is based on an achievement which is granted by the judgment of superiors. We don't see a lot of promotion here, mostly because a lot of the bureaucrats die at one point. Um, and so after that, we see promotion not really based upon the judgment of superiors, but a sudden need for leadership. Number nine, the official works entirely separate from owning the uh, from ownership of the means of administration. So the officials don't own the offices in which they work. This is obviously true here. The official is subject to the strict and systematic discipline within the office, and this is, of course, true, um, of the film. And so that's what we see as going on in this picture, this kind of bureaucratic system, and it traps them, and it makes them unable to deal with Godzilla. Um, they give so much advice that when the PM actually has to make a decision about whether or not to shoot Godzilla, it, it's almost like he can't, right? He, he can't the trigger. Um, and so later in the in the film, Godzilla evolves, he comes into Tokyo, and he ends up killing the a lot of members of the central government, including the, the prime minister and a lot of these bureaucrats. And what ends up happening, our male lead, Rando Yaguchi, he ends up taking over. He becomes kind of the, the managing actor there. And he's able to say, no, we're not doing another meeting. We just have to do this in order to handle Godzilla. This is what people say. I'm doing that. I'm cutting through the red tape. And he's really able to cut through the red tape because the tragedy of Godzilla has wiped out a lot of these, these government officials. Um, and we see him 
this is before the the bureaucracy gets destroyed, but we see him basically bring in a bunch of what he calls geeks, nerds, and weirdos, different scientists and experts and, and army people together because they're uh, they're not disciplined. They're kind of outside the norm. And when they, they bring them into this room, they basically say, no hierarchy, everyone's equal, um, we're eschewing seniority, we just want original ideas, we want functional ideas, just come up with stuff. And these are the people who do eventually come up with the solution to kind of, I, I think it's they're gonna heat overheat Godzilla so that he shuts down and freezes. It's very science-y and it hardly matters. What, what is important is that it's this non-hierarchical um, external committee that is not interested in these various aspects of bureaucracy who are able to come up with an idea. And they're able to come up with an idea and that idea is able to actually be enacted because the bureaucracy is gone. Right? Now, what we see in the film, and what I think is very smart in the, in the film, even though it gets a little saccharine in the, in the second hour, is that there is not a skepticism of government or uh, the civic spirit. The film does have an appreciation for good leaders, for good governance, um, and for people who appreciate their country and want their country to do well. Um, the film is also very nationalistic in, in that sense because what we see is that the outside countries, including America and, and kind of led by America, are looking to drop a nuclear bomb on Tokyo in order to take out Godzilla because Godzilla could potentially be a threat to other countries. And the, the Japanese officials have to kind of come together and solve this problem because there is an external threat. And so good governance really does feel like, like the spirit of, of civic unity in this picture because they are dealing with not only the, the internal threat of Godzilla, but also the external threat of other countries handling their problem. And um, and revisiting or recreating a historical trauma, nu nuclear bombs falling on Japan, uh, and these these kind of new officials, these kind of scrappy people led by Yaguchi, need to solve this problem, and and so they do, and they're able to solve this problem because they have their head head on straight. It's um, it is Rando Yaguchi. Uh, the female lead is uh, is Kayoko Ann Peterson, played by Sotomi Ishihara, and she is, uh, despite her not very good English, um, an American. She's American-Japanese, and uh, she's the special envoy for the President of the United States. And so she is working with the Japanese officials to, ki to kind of prevent this potential tragedy of another bomb dropping on Japan. And they end up working it out. They end up stopping the monster. And uh, then they're, they're kind of able to come, come together. And there's this, you know, this, this kind of joy at um, good governance stripped of these, these vestial bodies of bureaucracy as being able to accomplish something and able to accomplish something from this kind of national spirit. What we see then 
is a split or a difference between bureaucracy and representative democracy. And this is something that the utilitarian philosopher John Stuart Mill observed, that, um, that bureaucracy is something that kind of lives on beyond how we select representatives for our government. However, I will put this out there. I do think there is something a little more complex going on there. What we see is that the the prime minister, the initial prime minister before he's killed, obviously, is really concerned with what the people want, what the people want him to do. Is this a good idea? Is is that a good idea? And what we're feeling here is not only the problem of bureaucracy, but actually the problem a little bit of democracy. Uh, we, we have, of course, the famous James Madison Federalist 10, which is concerned with majoritarian factions and these, these factions endangering liberty by kind of gathering together people to, to vote for things that might be uh, damaging for other factions. Um, that type of thing. And so democratic control, according to Madison, should be regulated to the smallest group possible. Um, and so we kind of see that a little bit here, where what ends up happening is this concern about what the people think also become a, a weight that prevents the prime minister from acting. And uh, Yaguchi doesn't seem to engage or that part of his brain that says, well, well what is popular? What do people think? He, as well as um, the special envoy from the president, are able to act kind of with a, a sort of with, with will, with good leadership, with will, with confidence, and therefore they're able to get things done. And most importantly, they're able to act with a, a civic love of the nation that they've been brought in to protect. And even uh, Yaguchi says that later on he you know, hopes to run for office. And this is not filmed or depicted in a cynical way at all. Yaguchi's aspirations are seen as legitimate. What we're being cynical about is this, this kind of bureaucracy and the weight that is placed upon governments when what we need are you know, people of action. Okay. Thank you very much. This has been B-Side. <laughs>